and welcome to the NLP Highlights podcast, where we talk about interesting work in natural language processing. The hosts are members of the Allen NLP team at the Allen Institute for AI. Okay. Hello, everyone. For this uh, episode, we are going to talk about the uh, Alexa Prize Social Bot Challenge. And to talk about this topic, we have with us Peter Marek, who is a PhD student at the Czech Technical University. And uh, Peter is part of the Alquist 4.0 team, which uh, won the Alexa Social Bot Challenge uh, in 2021. Welcome, Peter, to the podcast. Hello, Pradeep. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and congratulations on winning the Social Bot Challenge. Thank you very much. We are glad that we made it after the four years of competing. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And the hosts for this episode are Pradeep Dasiki, that's me, and uh, Alexis Ross. Hi, um, I'm excited to be here. Cool. Yeah, so Peter, please uh, start us off by talking about uh, uh, Alexa Prey's Social Bot Challenge. Can you please give us an overview of the challenge? Okay, so this challenge is organized by Amazon, and the goal of this competition is to advance the conversational AI. And it is a student competition for teams all over the world. And their goal is to develop a social bot, which is basically some kind of chatbot or conversational agent, which is able to communicate about popular topics for 20 minutes. It is a grand challenge, like the main goal. And you can imagine popular topic as, for example, movies, music, uh, traveling or education or anything the basically users want. And all of these social bots are running on Alexa. So anyone in the USA can uh, say, Alexa, let's chat to their Echo device. And the Alexa will select one of the competing social bots. The, the users have a conversation with the social bot. And after the conversation, then they rate it from one to five stars. And our goal is to develop the best chatbot that will collect uh, the most uh, stars on the average. And there are like, I would say, two parts of this competition. In the first part, your social bot is interacting with the users. And then the five best uh, social bots out of 10 uh, proceed to the finals, where three interactors and three judges test the social bot. So basically, interactors, they have a conversation, and judges are judging the conversation, and they select the winner. Great. Thanks for the two of you. There are lots of points here that I wanted to know more about. So I understand that uh, the goal uh, of the challenge is to have a conversation for 20 minutes. Is that it? I mean, is, are there more specifications there? Yeah. So the 20-minute conversation is a grand challenge that we try to uh, like uh, solve. But it is not only about the time. It is also about the average rating. Because if you want to... like win the grand challenge, then you also have to uh, collect at least four stars on average from the conversations. Great. And uh, how do you get those stars? So it is rated by, uh, in the first uh, part of the competition, it is rated by users. So like ordinary people from USA who has an Alexa can say, let's chat. They have a conversation. And after the conversation, Alexa asks them for their feedback and the number of stars they want to provide. And then in the finals, okay. it is rated by the judges uh, that are selected uh, by Amazon, and there are three of them. I see. Got it. Right. And in, in general, when you're uh, building this chatbot, what, what information do you, uh, uh, do you assume? I mean, uh, are these uh, 
Right. I mean, you're building this chatbot that uh, some user would interact with, right? So do you, do you have access to the user's personal information when you're building this chatbot and what ex- how exactly does it work? So we have just like two information and it is that this is user from the USA and that they have Alexa and that's it. We don't know anything more. We just, and we know the identification number of the user. So we know that this user that was talking to us last time is the same user as, for example, the one that is talking to us uh, this time. But there are not many returning users. We usually have just one uh, conversation with one user because there is like 10 chatbots and they are randomly selected by Alexa. So maybe in the next conversation, another chatbot will chat with that user. But it is like not a problem for us that we don't know anything about the user because it is great for us that we are we are developing a conversational artificial intelligence because here you have a conversation with the user so you can simply ask. So if you want to know her or his name, you just ask for it. If you want to know hobbies, again, you can ask and you can learn over time about the user, about her or his interests. And you can steer the conversation in the direction that will be the most interesting to them. Got it. Yeah, that that makes sense. And uh, right. So and you, you, so you said when you're building your chat chatbot, you just know that the user is from the US and uh, that they have an Alexa device. And beyond that, what what else do you uh, do you get from say Amazon when you're participating in this competition? Do you do you get some uh, data from previous conversations and something else? Yeah, so I would say that the biggest uh, thing that we receive from Amazon is uh, the access to to their customers, to their users. So we have a large like testing ground or playground uh, to test all our technologies on. That's great. We also get some budget uh, from them for our research. We also get access to the AWS, their computing cloud platform, uh, where we can open all the instances we need, where we run the chatbot uh, or social bot, and where we can train our uh, neural network models, for example. It is big help. We also receive uh, their like framework, which they called Cobot, which is like the baseline social bot uh, into which we can plug uh, the models or individual parts uh, that we develop, for example, something from uh, dialogue management or from internet recognition. But our team decided not to use Cobot because uh, we were competing in this competition for four years already. So we have some technologies in our own system so it is easier for us just to modify what we already have. And if something is not working, uh, we don't have anyone to blame. It is just like on us if something is broken or not working. And we receive also some data. Uh, there is a data set called uh, Topical Chat. That is a data set of conversations. And they are grounded in uh, information from Wikipedia and uh, trivia, or we call them fun facts uh, from Reddit. So we have some like data that we can build on, and it is actually publicly available data set uh, which uh, anybody interested can use. So these are the main things that we received from the Amazon. Yeah, I forgot one thing. Uh, also, Amazon organizes like two mini conferences for us each year. So we have access to the Amazon uh, scientists 
and they provide us some information and some feedback and uh, yeah, we can ask them uh, for some like, tips and stuff like that. Yeah, that sounds great. So you talked about all the resources that you receive from, uh, from Amazon. Is there a restriction that you're not allowed to use resources beyond these? There is a restriction that everything that we run uh, should be run on AWS. But otherwise, we can basically select any framework we want or like any code uh, if we have a license to, to like use it. Otherwise, we shouldn't use it. But we haven't uh, run into any problems yet. So basically, if we want to use, I don't know, like neural networks from Hugging Face or anything, we probably can use it. Okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm guessing there are some restrictions on the on the latency of your of your models and how quickly the data system runs and so on, right? Yeah, they are doing some uh, load testing, uh, so our system can support a lot of customers, but they are not actually testing the latency because users themselves rate the latency because if your uh, social bot is slow to react then don't expect higher high ratings right yeah okay cool yeah that makes sense right and uh, you talked a little bit about the uh, evaluation uh, you talked about uh, these judges who observe the interaction between the chatbot and the users and give the conversation stars some sort of a star rating so uh, can you tell us a bit more about that uh, exact what factors are considered in the in this evaluation yeah so this evaluation is uh, completely personal uh yeah to describe it better <laughs> because it's i would say it's more like an art than like the hard evaluation like if you are for example doing some automatic evaluation of some model then you have a pretty well defined metric and you can like evaluate it uh, and you see our every time it is basically the same. But for this kind of uh, rating, it is more like how they feel about the social bot. So it is more personal. Uh, it is not that uh, hard scientific metric uh, that we are used to. But uh, in the finals, yes, there are just like uh, uh, three interactors and they each have two conversations. So there are like six ratings, but in the first part of the competition, there uh, there are a lot of people talking to the social bot. So here you have like the law of large numbers that like if you have a lot of ratings, they will probably convert to some like true mean of the rating. But on the other hand, we still uh, saw that sometimes our social bot Alquist has a great conversation and it gets just one star because we don't know and sometimes it, it is in the opposite that means that uh, sometimes like really horrible conversation and the rating is pretty good so it is really sub like it is different for for everybody yeah so you were just describing how the ratings that users would give are somewhat subjective and personal mm -hmm. and it's sort of hard to measure that very scientifically so i was curious when you were developing alquist what were the methods that you used to evaluate how well it was doing in those subjective senses? Uh, yeah, so there are not many ways how can you get uh, around this problem because 
Yeah, one of the things that we like tested or we used as a test was that we tested the social bot and we saw where the parts where it, for example, don't understand or there is not enough content in this topic and stuff like that. But still, they are like the users are the judges. Uh, say so they decide whether your approach is good or not so there is not much uh, sense in testing it uh, like internally because it's much faster for us to deploy the change that we were making to the alchemist and see whether it it is working or not like for example some a b testing and stuff like that because we receive a daily leaderboard where we see uh, the average uh, rating from the last seven days and from the last day. So we have uh, constant feedback. How are we doing in the competition? I see. So it's spread out over a period of time. That makes sense. Yeah. And I guess when you're developing systems like this, uh, you can't really get around this subject to evaluation, right? I mean, even if you're, say, Amazon developing uh, a device like uh, uh, Alexa or Echo, you um, I mean, we, we do have some scientific uh, metrics when we're developing, but uh, at the end of the day, it's the user studies that should tell you how well your the technology is doing. Right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Because like, you, you can measure the upstream task. You can measure how good is your intent recognition, how well are you doing in entity recognition, in sentiment analysis, stuff like that. But what matters in the end, in the end is how satisfied the users are. And it is a combination of multiple things. And it is not influenced just by, for example, your NLU algorithms, because they may be great, but uh, if the conversation itself, like the content of the conversation doesn't make sense, for example, you are talking about things that the user don't care at all, then you will still obtain a really like, bad rating. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, thanks for the overview on uh, the challenge itself. Let's talk about your submission, uh, Alchemist 4.0. You mentioned that uh, this is the fourth time you're participating mm-hmm. in the challenge. Can you tell us about this year's submission and how it's different from your previous submissions? Yeah, sure. So uh, one of the things that we wanted to address this year was uh, coherence and uh, engagingness. It's basically... That's the goal of the competition to develop a social world that is coherent and engaging. So we think, okay, so probably these these are like two things that we should optimize. And one thing is the coherence. And coherence means how well your uh, social bot can act in the conversation, how well it understands, how well it like solves uh, requests, how well it answers. The conversation itself can be really boring, but like it should work. And if it works, then it's coherent. And like the main part of our system is still based on something that we call uh, dialogue trees or dialogue graphs. We used to call it trees, but then we observed that like these structures that we are building aren't exactly like trees as like in the computer science sense. So we sometimes say that they are graphs and they basically describe the structure of the dialogue. You can imagine it as a theater play where we like design the conversation, like the branched theater play, sorry. So we have some like notes or boxes into which we write what the alchemist is saying or asking, and then we branch it 
into multiple boxes into which we write what the user can answer to this question. And it is branching and branching more. So we are basically like, we can say that we are hard coding the conversation, but it is still the best way how to describe the conversation for us. Yeah, because you can make sure that from the point of conversational design, the conversations are like coherent and usually also engaging because you are typing what the alchemist will answer. So the quality of the conversation is really high thanks to it. But there is a problem because if you are designing, then you have to think forward or in advance what the users can answer to the questions or what can be their inputs. And uh, one thing that we learned over the time is that users always surprise you. You never know what they can say. And if you cannot predict everything, then you cannot like uh, prepare Alquist for everything. So there is a, you need some way how to first detect that the user is saying something that you don't expect. So this is something we call out-of-domain detection. So this is one technology that we included into this year's uh, version. And when you detect that the user is saying something out-of-domain, you also need some way how to like provide some response or say something to this unexpected but how can you prepare it if you don't act, uh, if you don't know that it will happen so we included also the generative models that can generate the response based on the context of a dialogue or on the history of the dialogue so uh, these were the two parts that addressed the coherence and then we also wanted to address the engagingness of the conversation and this is something that we actually learned from the last year winner, which was the MRI University. And they stated in their paper that one of the best things that you can do in this regard is to ask personal questions to the user. So we wanted to go a bit further and not just ask personal questions. We also wanted to give not illusion, but the ability, this is the right word, the ability to the alquist to pay attention to what the user is saying. Uh, because if you pay attention, then you know what are the conversational topics that the user will be interested in. So we have something that we call Skimmer, which is the component that exactly pays attention. And it works thanks to the uncooperative users. And uncooperative users are users that are usually saying something unexpected. It is not bad that they are doing it, don't like uh, understanding uh, that we say that they are bad. They are just uncooperative. They, un they, for example, answer with more information than we ask for. For example, if Alquist asks, do you like movies? They answer not just by, yes, I like movies, but they might say, yes, I like movies because we organize movie nights with my brother every Friday. And now if you pay attention, there are two informations. Uh, one information is, that the user likes movie and the second information is that he has a brother so this is something that the skimmer the component is like basically analyzing it is just uh, we didn't have time to develop it uh, into something like really sophisticated it's just a list of regex rules but still we can like detect that this user has a brother uh, we save it into his profile and then later in the conversation we can say something like, hey, you have a brother, so how is he doing, for example, stuff like that. 
That's a great overview. Thank you. Yeah, so there's a lot of information here. Let's uh, unpack that. You talked about uh, coherence and engagement, right? And for coherence, you uh, talked about uh, uh, two components. One is this hard-coded tree of uh, dialogue candidates or potential dialogues that uh, that the chatbot could uh, use. And then there is this generative model, which... uh, which could be used if uh, the user kind of uh, goes to a place that's beyond the tree, right? And right, so this this tree, the hard-coded tree that you talked about, it sounds like that's kind of like a decision tree where each uh, node is uh, a specific intent. Is that essentially it? Yes, I think that you used the right description. It's basically, yeah, we call them uh, local intents. And yeah, it is decision tree, basically. Okay, so you have, I'm guessing you have some, some intent classification module which decides where in the tree the user's intent is and uses that specific dialogue. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the case? Yes, exactly. Okay. We, have, okay. we have one special like, classifier for each point where we can make a decision. So like, there are like more than 100 of these trees. And in each tree, there, is, there are like... I would say six of these decision points. So we have like 100 times six intent classifiers that are small, but uh, they are trained specifically uh, to operate in this one like, place. Yeah, I, th- I think this the fact that you have these hard-coded intents and dialogues that correspond to them, I think it's very interesting and something that you would expect from a real-world system that works, right? I mean, when we talk about dialogue systems in research, or at least when I read uh, papers on uh, dialogue systems, we usually don't, I, we usually don't see a lot of uh, hard coding in them because, right, I mean, and, and I really, I really find it interesting that there is this very well-defined hierarchy of hard-coded dialogues, and then you move to a generative model only when the user's intent does not, is not captured by one of the, those that you've defined in the tree. But something else that I wonder about is how exactly do you define, how exactly did you decide, decide on the trade-off between how many intents to have in the hard-coded tree versus uh, how powerful you want to make your neural generator model? Okay, yeah. So there is a trade-off because on one hand, the generative models would save us a lot of like work because we wouldn't have to do it by hand all the design. But on the other hand, our experiments show, or our experience also shows, that generative models are not very well yet at handling the longer conversations. So we, they are usually good at producing just one response, but if you want them to like, understand longer context or like, progress uh, in the conversation for longer number of turns, then they usually start to hallucinate. You cannot control them. They just like say whatever they want. You have no influence over them. And the quality of the responses uh, deteriorate pretty quickly. But on the other hand, we don't want to spend too much time on the handcrafted uh, design. But still, it is the best way how to make sure that the, all the responses will be in uh, top quality, but that it will make sense. and that it will 
progress in the dialogue into the points where we want to like it has some intent it has some meaning and uh, some direction in which we drive the conversation yeah so usually we are designing these trees in like the iterative process we first design the basic structure of the dialogue and then we observe the data uh, how the users are interacting with the system and then we try to tweak the tweak the structure change it a bit or maybe add more intents if we see that they are like asking for something or saying something that we weren't expected but still like yeah there is this trade-off uh, we can probably solve like 90% of all the cases but always there will be some like long tail that will be uh, covered by the generative models right so you you said 90% of the cases could be covered by the hard coding that's interesting so if you i mean do you, do you have an estimate of how much the uh, the the neural generative model actually help in your uh, uh, in your final submission so if you say for example you didn't have a neural generative model how much uh, how much would you have or how many points would you have lost or something did you have any estimates of that yeah so we we saw that the generative model is covering between 10 to 15% of the inputs how does it influence the rating we are not sure because as i already told you the ratings are a subject or they are personal and uh, they are noisy so we are not entirely sure whether it will be drastically different if we don't have it inside of our system but or what impact it will have on the rating but certainly the quality of the conversation will be worse okay thanks can you describe to us the 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 generative model itself i understand that you used uh, a dialogue gpt model can you tell us a bit more about that mm -hmm. so that dialogue gpt is a model that was developed by microsoft research and it is basically gpt2 that was trained on comments uh, from the Reddit. And we fine-tune it on uh, different data sets, on uh, empathetical chat and topical chat, for example. Yeah, and, and it is a model that can uh, generate multiple responses or multiple variants. Uh, so we have to select one of them. But for this task, there is uh, another model uh, that was developed by Microsoft, and it is called uh, Dialog RPT, which is a ranking model that was also trained on the Reddit. And there are three variants of this model. Uh, one is predicting how many upvotes the like response will obtain. The second rates what is the width of uh, or how many comments will follow the comment that we are trying to evaluate. And the third one measures uh, what will be the longest path uh, of the comments or longest thread. So in this way, well, we can rate the alternatives and we selected the up, uh, like up down variant. And this uh, like selects the response that we present to the user. But we also did a modification to this uh, GPT model. Because in some conversational situations, you want to have at least some basic influence over the type of the response. So, for example, if user asks question, then you want to respond by some statement in most cases. 
But if we want to drive the conversation further, then the easiest uh, way how to do it is to ask a question. So we also fine-tune the mode in a way that we can insert a special control token as a first token, and it says whether the response should be question or statement. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And uh, beyond this special token, did you uh, have to tweak your objective uh, in any way to make it work with uh, your chatbot? Well, there were basically three challenges. Uh, first one was that we wanted uh, as best response as possible. And we did it by manual evaluation uh, and we tested uh, several data sets. Empathetical chat, topical chat, persona chat. These are all basically the, the, some conversational dialogue, uh, the data sets, sorry. And we just tested which one is the best. The second was that we want or we wanted to be sure that this control token is uh, working. So we also tested in uh, what percentage of cases, if we say we want a statement, uh, the model would produce a statement. So basically some kind of like accuracy, like for statement and for question. We tested both. And we also wanted to test the latency uh, because... Our aim was to generate a response uh, under uh, 500 milliseconds because then it wouldn't be that noticeable to the user that like something is lagging. So we tested uh, three sizes of the model. There is the small, medium and large. And we also tested it on uh, CPU and uh, GPU. And we were able to use GPU with the largest model and it produced a response like in about 500 to 600 milliseconds and uh, with uh, three alternative uh, responses that we rated later. And yeah, the important thing is that it is 600 milliseconds that it may seem uh, like a lot of time, but we are not using the generative model in every dialogue turn. So it is not that bad for the user. Sometimes it's just like a little bit longer, but not every time. Okay, yeah, that yes, that makes sense. Right, and so I understand that you have the interface between or uh, how the chatbot decides to either use the hard-coded dialogues or the neural generator model for that to make that decision. I understand that you have a classifier, right, which decides whether it should use one of the existing intents or rely on the generative model to do that right right so once the dialogue state gets into the gets to using the neural generative model does it ever go back to the hard-coded dialogue it goes back to uh, some other hard-coded dialogue because we have like hundreds of them and if we like jump out of them because we detect out of domain and we go to the generative model then we let the generative model generate just one response. Then we give user a chance to react to it. And then we have some hard-coded message like, for example, I see or I understand. Uh, actually, we are doing some dialogue act classification. So if we see that the user like asks question, we apologize that uh, we don't get it. And yeah. Or if he says some statement, then we exactly say, okay, I see. But then we go back to like dialogue management and it selects the different uh, hard-coded tree that we execute. And yeah. 
So, uh, right. Is it is it preferable uh, to for the conversation to go back to the hard coded dialogue? So, for example, you could uh, train the neural generative model to kind of um, drive the conversation towards one of the hard coded dialogues. Right? Was that desirable? Like one thing that we tried was uh, that we uh, let the generative model to uh, lead the conversation for more dialogue turns, so to produce more response and to like spend some time just like conver- uh, having a conver- conversation with this like generative model. But it doesn't remember what it says. Uh, it sometimes repeats itself. Sometimes uh, it's. Uh, it is not working correctly with the context. So this is why we always try to go back to some hard-coded dialogue. So this generative model is designed to handle these like out-of-domain cases. I'm curious, do you have a sense of how much of the data sets that you fine-tune this model on contain cases like this? Or is it like the topic of chat, does that contain mostly standard chats where Maybe what the user says is more like simple. Did you do any sort of filtering? No, we didn't do any filtering, but these data sets are like basically normal. They don't like uh, contain any like special conversation like situations. And we use these dialogues because like you can probably imagine the Reddit comments, uh, it is slightly different domain. So the model probably learned to or learned uh, how the conversation, human conversation, like works, but it is in the written form. It is on the internet. Sometimes the users are not very nice, uh, so we wanted to fine tune the model on more like conversational data that the that will fit the theme of the Alexa Prize, like popular topics about anything. So this is why we fine tune the model on different data. Great. Uh, let's talk about the engagement part of your design. So, right, I you, you talked about uh, uh, the skimmer module, which extracts relevant information about the user when they're uh, providing information that's not exactly relevant to the question being asked, right? Can you tell us a little bit about how exactly the skimmer works? Yeah, so the skimmer is based on uh, regular expressions. We have a list of regular expressions and some effect that will take place if the regular expression is like found in the user input. So all user inputs are sent to the skimmer and it tries to find what it can find. And then it, uh, it's, uh, it is, uh, the effect is usually that we save something into the user profile. So I'm guessing the user profile has some predefined slots about the uh, user's personal information and you're just filling those slots, right? I mean, how many slots do you have? Yeah, uh, we, have uh, we have like tens of uh, these slots and we decided what slots we want based on the conversational design or on the design of the hard-coded uh, dialogues. Because, for example, if you create a dialogue about a user's family, for example, about her father, then you design the dialogue you design also the rule for the skimmer and you also insert like the slot uh, father was mentioned into her profile, for example. So it is uh, usually decided based on the design of the dialogues. So we like used what we think will work or what we want. 
Okay. And uh, right. So in terms of filling out these uh, slots, I read in your paper that you had this exploration versus exploitation trade-off where you're explicitly asking uh, users questions to fill out some, uh, some of these slots. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Mm -hmm. So the like uh, in the normal conversation, you usually want to first learn something about your partner. Uh, but if you just learn the things and never use them, then it is useless to just like ask for them or learn them. You have to somehow use them. So this reminded us the like famous problem of exploration and exploitation, where you first want to know something and then you want to talk about it. But this is mostly just the concept which we used to describe this problem uh, because there is no like hard dividing part in the Alquist that will say, okay, this part is strictly exploration and this part is strictly exploitation because everything that you say is some somewhere between because for example, if you are exploiting, then you still are learning about the user. So you are exploring also. But yeah, there are some like dialogues that are more for exploration. For example, at the start of the conversation, we are asking for the user's name, uh, for his hobbies and stuff like that. So this is the part where we usually more fill the user profile and then based on the user profile of what we learn for example that the user likes i don't know uh, soccer uh, then we can use this information and start the conversation about sports or about his favorite soccer team or whatever right yeah that that makes sense thanks okay so we talked about uh, the coherence and the engagement parts of your and the design choices you made related to these in your chatbot so putting this all together, what do you think, which, which components do you think uh, were the reason behind you winning this, uh, this challenge? What do you think worked and what do you think didn't work very well? I think that uh, it was probably thanks to the, this idea of exploration and exploitation, because we really made the conversation more personal. In one of the finals, interactions that the office had one of the judges mentioned her children and it was just like by the way and then suddenly when the alquist uh, like used most of the content that they were discussing it was probably about movies then he suddenly mentioned okay so you mentioned your children so how are they doing so this is something that I think it is like surprising. You usually don't expect this kind of like personalization from the from today's AIs. If you think about like Alexa or Siri, they don't do that. But like our social bot was able to do this. So I think it was this part. Also, we uh, started the conversation with uh, really personal dialogue about the place uh, where the user grew up. And we ask, okay, so how did you like that place? Or can we say that if you uh, grew up in the city, so are you a city person? Was it uh, cold there? If we know that the city is up in the north and where they uh, used to play, for example, and stuff like that. So I think it was more on the side of the conversational design 
more than on the side of the technology. Because yes, you have to create the working technology that allows you to design these interactions. But I think that the biggest uh, part was on the uh, interaction design or conversational design. Yeah, and what do you think are the outstanding challenges if you participated uh, in this competition again next year? What would you fix? Yeah, so we still see that there is a big part of the work that we have to do by hand. So we have to like hard code most of the dialogues. And it is something that we would like to get rid of because now it is really like labor intensive to create everything. So we would like to use generative models more and more to drive the conversation. And yeah, also our social bot is not very good at uh, handling uh, longer inputs. So for example, if user says some long sentence, then it is really hard for the social bot to process it, to understand it. So this is something that we would like to solve by some kind of like, uh, by some kind of like summarization or finding the just the most relevant and most, most important parts of the input. And also we would like to improve the skimmer because right now it is just based on regular expressions, but we probably can use some entity recognition or maybe some things can be inferred indirectly. For example, if the user says that she is a lawyer, then we can probably infer that she was attending some university and we can discuss about the university or how did she like the studies and stuff like that. Yeah, that makes sense. That's all the questions that I had for you. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about that we didn't ask you? I think that this was probably exhaustive. So, Alexis, did you have any other questions? No, I think that's great. Right. Thanks a lot for giving us this overview of your submission and the challenge. Uh, This was uh, very informative. Thanks a lot for joining. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks.